Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double N. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 669 of the podcast and it is Friday the 20th of January 2023 as I record this. In today's show, I'm talking to Mark Recklau about how to make multi-six figures from books as a non-fiction author. And we also talk about the power of small habits every day and how you can change your future as an author by consistency rather than massive shifts, as well as how Mark makes most money from book sales rather than consulting or courses like many non-fiction authors. We go into translations, uh, the business mindset, and also why he went wide with print and how that's going on Ingram Spark and how it saved his business when his Amazon account was shut down by mistake. So the interview has lots of tips on author business, whatever genre you write. It's not just for nonfiction authors. There's lots on mindset and other things. So that's coming up in the interview section. So in publishing and book marketing news, well, Jane Friedman in the hot sheet reported from Digital Book World, where Spotify gave a talk about audiobooks. And remember that authors using Findaway Voices, which is now owned by Spotify, can market their audiobook with 100 free giveaway codes, which Spotify considers an important vehicle for growth. And also, uh, Jane notes that author Brandon Sanderson <laughs> is using this exact method to give his kicks starter backers access to his audiobook. So if you remember Brandon Sanderson's 41 or 41 million dollar Kickstarter and he uh, I talked about this last week or the week before that he's decided not to use Audible for many reasons and he is going to use the Spotify codes for his backers. So that's really interesting. Of course, I've been giving away some as well. Now, ratings are also critical at Spotify for the recommendations engine. And they say, uh, Jane reported, they said in the keynote that it lim- Spotify itself limits the ability to rate audiobooks to users who have actually listened to the content. So it's not really gameable. A user has to listen in order to rate. And if you've got one of my codes, please do leave a rating. Jane also shared a link to a tweet by Carly Waters, a senior literary agent, which was talking about what Carly thinks is going to happen in 2023. So interesting. And I'll link to the tweet in the show notes as ever. But she says, bestseller lists will become less useful. With the USA Today list on hiatus, TikTok driving trends and sales and indie authors making bank in their own ways, I predict we're going to find the bestseller lists as a whole less useful as a marker for financial success. And I totally agreed with this. And I've I've been saying this for ages, like every time you sell direct, every time I sell a book on my store, (laughs) creativepenbooks.com, you know, I have to get it in every show. Uh, No one knows how many books I'm selling on my own store. The money goes in my bank account. It doesn't go into any list or anything. And so as uh, Carly says here, with authors making bank in their own ways. And so obviously that also applies to Brandon Sanderson there. I mean, if he had actually done that launch 
through official channels, I'm sure he would have hit it. The New York Times less, for example, but he doesn't, presumably doesn't care about that anymore. Um, But I thought that was interesting. She also said, authors will no longer stay with the same publisher for more than one book, maybe two. And this is obviously traditional publishing. Uh, Carly is a literary agent. So she says, uh, we're seeing an across industry trend that publishers are passing on option materials more than I've seen in 12 years of agenting and thus sending authors on their way to find a new home. Writers should be planning to stay with their publisher for only one book and not expecting to stick around. It means more labour for everyone. Authors have to have a very polished draft in order to move to another house. Agents prepping submaterials to go out wide and editors reading submissions and prepping offer auction materials to gain new authors. So that's really interesting too. And I presume that is also kind of related to the way uh, that the fragmentation of the industry is going because let's say you do a a deal with an author and then you do the one book and it doesn't sell as well as you need it to to pay the advance then you're not going to renew that option on whatever the next book is and so it's interesting that she's saying this is a trend Uh, if you are in traditional publishing then don't assume that the publisher you go with or the agent or whoever is going to be the same one for the rest of your life (laughs) and also the third thing uh, that Carly says and I really like these tweets I thought they were great she says there is a power shift writers hold the entire creative capital they create the material that the business is built on yes that's your intellectual property writers but writers have little of the economic power yes some authors make big money but most don't with publishers showing less loyalty to writers writers are going to show less loyalty back which means whisper networks get louder and receipts will be shown I don't really know what that last bit means, but whisper networks get louder is interesting because I hear a lot behind the scenes that I couldn't talk about in public from traditionally published authors and uh, because they obviously they want to protect their relationship and their money. (laughs) But whisper networks get louder and receipts will be shown. That's interesting. Are we going to see more contracts out in the open? I don't know. Anyway, really interesting thread. That was only a couple of the things that she said and I'll link to that in the show notes. So a couple of other useful things. Uh, Our industry, like all industries that make money, (laughs) is full of scams and pirates and difficulties and intellectual property wise publishing contracts. And Victoria Strauss at Writer Beware has been helping authors and raising the profile of these issues for many years. She has a really good roundup of useful things about publishing contracts, copyright, agents, ethics, serialisation, publisher issues, rights reversion junk book marketing, handshake agreements, various vanity press and scam publishers and all the things that you should be watching out for. This is an excellent roundup and I'll link it to it in the show notes. But yeah, writerbeware.blog is one that I think every writer should be subscribed to. And in fact, 2022 was the first time that I have had a few emails that 
I mistakenly responded to and then turned out to be a total scam. And in fact, I sent one of these to Victoria, who shared some of that on her site. But um, yeah, so there there are so many of these things and they're getting super sophisticated. So yeah, you need to know what is good and what is bad. And trust is so important and it's getting more and more and more important. So yeah, I trust Writer Beware uh, and link in the show notes or just go to writerbeware.blog. And then finally, talking about hitting bestseller lists on the Reedsy blog, there's an interesting case study from author Brad Aronson, who wanted to hit a big bestseller list with his book, Humankind, a nonfiction inspirational self-help book. Now, this the article's really good. It goes into his goals, the various ad campaigns that he ran alongside Ricardo uh, Fayette from Reedsy, and the results. Now, it includes screenshots of ads and other useful information if you do want to hit a list. Uh, the book did end up making the Wall Street Journal list, not the New York Times, which is what they were aiming for. But of course, they have changed the rules a lot over the years. Uh, and of course, the USA Today list was actually retired at the end of last year. So that wasn't possible for them. But still, they did hit a list. And the blog post is really interesting. Now, I did a similar post back in 2016, when I hit the USA Today list as an individual author, I'd done it before in a box set with other authors, but this was on my own. It was still with a box set, but it was on my own. And this approach is called ad stacking, where you center everything kind of around a book pub. And in, two th- in 2016, I structured my campaign around a book bub, and so did Brad six years later. So between 2016 and 2022, still stacking ads around a book bub. And so don't think that BookBub is over by any means. I've heard people say that, but it's certainly not. It's one of the aspects of your Uh, If you want to do a big spike sale like this, a big um, spike marketing campaign. And remember, there's a big difference between spike marketing, trying to get really, really high and then you're going to drop off straight away or the kind of long term sustainable book marketing where you sell a few every day of every book. And that's a more sustainable career. So, yeah, I haven't even tried to hit a list since 2016. (laughs) I feel like once you've done it, then you feel like that's fine. And as Carly said, as I quoted before on Twitter, they they are not really a marker for financial success. They are more of a vanity metric, as they're called. Yes, I have my vanity. And I should say on the Reedsy article, they do not share specific numbers and costs. Well, they share some numbers, but they don't share costs and like a profit and loss. But on my article, I do share my profit and loss statement as in how much I spent, how much I earned um, for that particular campaign. So, yeah, have a have a look at those links in the show notes. In my personal update, well, finally, my Kickstarter is live. <laughs> you can go and have a look at jfpen.com forward slash pilgrimage. I really hope that it funds. And in fact, I am terrified. <laughs> I am recording this a few days before it goes live. And let's face it, I have a platform. I have a book on how to market a book. <laughs> Even though I've never done a Kickstarter before, you got to expect that I should fund this campaign. So thank you. Thank you so much if you help me do this. <laughs> And of course, you will get all the lessons learned once I figure this out. And uh, yeah, a big thank you to Russell Nolte and the book that he did with uh, Monica Lionel on selling on Kickstarter. It's very, very good book. It is my Bible. (laughs) 
But yes, even if you just go and have a look at the sales page to see that, because that has been weeks and weeks of work and iterating and optimizing. And yes, there is a video. In fact, I've been recording different videos. That, so on the blog over the next few days, there's going to be a, a, a longer video with um, pictures and things. And then I'm also doing another video on why I'm using Kickstarter and not selling from my Shopify store, uh, creativefanbooks.com. <laughs> because so many people are asking me that. So yeah, videos, which I barely ever do. Uh, So that was difficult for sure. It took me, what did it, it took me about 10, about 12 hours to make two videos, one of which is only about two minutes. (laughs) And the other ones, I think about six minutes. So yeah, there was a lot of work has gone into, and that's just a tiny part of of what I've been doing, obviously. And I've done more marketing preparation around this launch than I think I ever have done in my life, apart from possibly that spike marketing campaign back in the day, uh, or the one where we hit the the New York Times list, which I think was 2014. Um, Yeah, Diane Capri organised that and we did a lot of work. But yeah, I I rarely do these kind of things. So it will be it'll be interesting to see whether it it, I can pull it off. So thank you, thank you if you join me in this campaign. Uh, I also wanted to point out, and I put this on my email list this week, but what I realised is that I'm doing three new things. I'm writing in travel memoir, which is a new genre. I'm doing a hardback signed limited edition with colour photos, which is a new format. And I'm using Kickstarter, which is a new platform. So that's three new things. No wonder this is uh, a stretch. (laughs) But yeah, new genre, new format, new platform. Now I've been doing this since 2008. So if if you're someone who's just come into this and you're like, oh, writing in this genre is hard or doing a new format is hard or doing a new platform is hard. And if that platform that's new to you is, I don't know, Kobo, which has been around for a decade, then you'll feel the same way. I feel this right now is that, oh, this platform works in a completely different way to this other platform. And this genre has completely different requirements. And this uh, format has all these different things in and I need to figure out shipping. And so I think a long term writing career is about doing these new things whether you're just starting out and learning it for the first time or you're coming into this now or you've, you're a mature indie author, mature in your years, not necessarily in your attitude. <laughs> I hope I'm still, anyway, you know what I mean. Uh, but you can still do learn new things and try new things and have a different business plan, have a different marketing plan. Also revisiting things you might have done in the past. So like I said, around videos, I used to do a lot of videos. A few years ago, I did videos all the time. And then I kind of stopped doing videos. And but now uh, after doing a couple, I'm probably going to do some lives as well this week on YouTube and Facebook. I'm, I'm saying that I haven't arranged it yet. But if I do, you'll get an email if you're on the email list. Um, but yeah, so what I guess my question this week is, what are you doing that's new? this year in 2023? Are you writing in a new genre, trying a new format, trying a new platform, trying a different business model? Let me know. You can always tweet me at The Creative Pen, leave a comment on the show notes or email me, joanna at thecreativepen.com. And of course, if you're on my email list, uh, I asked this this week, so you would have got that. I've also been doing a few podcast interviews. I am on the Wish I'd Known Then podcast 
and that is with Sarah and Jamie and we have a really good chat around uh, travel, writing travel memoir, what I'm scared of, thoughts on AI and the future and more. So you can check that out. I'm also on the Into the Woods podcast with Holly Wharton, which is out now. As this show goes out, it will also be out or it'll be out in the next few hours. The Travel Writing World podcast with Jeremy Bassetti. I'm on that uh, in the next week or so talking about the travel writing side of things and I'll also be on the Sacred Steps podcast with Kevin Donahue, which is specifically around pilgrimage. So if you're interested in Pilgrimage the book or if you just want to read the sales page and have a look at the Kickstarter project go to jfpen.com forward slash pilgrimage and if you're listening in the future then that will redirect. Um, the, the Kickstarter goes from 23rd of January 2023 to the 5th of February 2023 and then the book will be available on my store and other platforms later on April, May-ish. There are different digital and print products. There's ebook, there's my self-narrated audiobook, digital bundle with the digital workbook. There are various print editions, signed and unsigned hardbacks, paperback, large print, workbook, and a new course I'm working on around writing setting and sense of place, which is clearly useful for any genre. I mean, you need it in a fantasy novel or any kind of novel as a setting. Story happens in a setting, but you also need it for travel writing. You can use it for nonfiction. You can use it for all kinds of things. So uh, there's also a limited number of one-on-one consulting sessions. So very limited. They may have gone (laughs) by the time this happens. And on the print products, the international shipping is a big deal as you have to enter every single product with every single country. So that would be many thousands of things. And I didn't do that. So I've included my biggest markets. But if you want a particular product and your country is not included, leave a comment on the Kickstarter page or email me, joanna at thecreativepen.com. I also put a limit on the number of books ordered per backer because of the shipping cost. But if you want to buy in bulk, please also email. And then a couple of useful things. Mark Dawson's Ads for Authors course is open as this show goes out. You can use my affiliate link if you'd like to support the show, thecreativepen.com forward slash ads. That's A-D-S, thecreativepen.com forward slash ads. And in the interview, Mark Recklau is a super fan of the ads course. And if you're listening in the future, that link will redirect to a sign up page for notification of when it's open again. And also on courses, Nick Thacker has a new course about dictation and how he's using AI tools to supercharge his writing. And uh, you, I'll put a link in the show notes, but it's at bookcareerinayear.com and I'll link to that. But um, yeah, I've, I've actually bought that course because I'm and I've got marks as well uh, in order. I really I keep trying dictation. And in fact, some of pilgrimage was dictated as I walked. <laughs> so I, I kind of had bits and bobs of dictation in many of my books, but I've never kind of done a whole draft with it. I do it sort of a bit here and a bit there uh, and then knit it together later. But maybe that's just how I'll always write because I'm an intuitive writer, as we discussed last week. Uh, also on AI, I'll, I have an in-between episode coming later this week on AI art. And I will comment on the various legal challenges and thoughts on how this will develop. Um, many of you have emailed me, sent me stuff, and I'm going to do this big kind of roundup episode around art. And then I've got some interviews coming 
in the following months around writing. And this is just going to continue. So and opinions will shift, obviously, over time. But yes, that is coming up later this week. So thanks for your emails and tweets and comments. There were so many for Becca's interview on intuitive writing and marketing. So it clearly resonated a lot with you all. I I can't read all of the comments, so I'm just going to pick a couple. Melissa says, I cannot tell you how much this episode means to me. I've listened to it twice already and each time I find myself saying yes out loud. I have tried and tried to learn to plot and I I can do it, but I struggle with it. I thought it was me. It is me and me is just fine the way she is. What a liberating episode. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. And Opal Tree Press on YouTube says, thanks so much, Joanna and Becca. Becca, your words resonated so strongly with me. They moved me to tears. I've purchased your book and I'm looking forward to reading it tonight. So yeah, a lot of comments were along that vein. So, so glad this resonated with you. And it's funny because in my book, How to Write a Novel as well, I have a whole chapter on my writing process, which is very much like this. And I am a discovery writer. And as Becca said last week, so many books, there were like 99% of books on writing are for those more structured thinkers. And there's not much for us intuitive discovery writers. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I definitely I when I read that book, I was like, yes, that's me. That's me. So thank you for everyone who sent a comment. I really appreciate it. I also did want to just getting back into AI. Melanie tweeted me, and sent me a screenshot where she'd asked for help on a story title on ChatGPT. And she'd clearly only asked for one answer. And so I wanted to just share a little tip. If you're using ChatGPT, ask it for, I use it mainly for lists of things. So um, for example, world building, you can say, give me a list of 20 different clan names that with this this type of idea, like I said, um, for mermaids who are based in different areas of the ocean. And then it would kind of do that. Now, for this this short story, well, for a story title, this is exactly what I did. So I wanted to share my prompt for my short story. And I'm going to do a, a dedicated episode on this short story when it comes out later in February. But essentially, my prompt was as follows. I'm writing a short story. Please give me 20 short story titles using words associated with photography, eyes and vision and demons in the style of best-selling short story titles. So you can see what I'm doing there with the prompt is I'm I'm explaining that it's a short story and I'm giving it some assistance around what types of words I want in the story title. And then you can just say in the style of best-selling short story titles, you don't have to use someone else's name. And of course, that is one of the ethical issues with AI is using other um, artists, living artists, at least in the prompts. Um, so yes, that's what I do. So I'll say, please give me 20. And then I asked for another 20. You can just carry on with the chat and say, uh, I always say thank you. Uh, Got to be nice to our AI overlords, <laughs> our coming AI overlords. Uh, so I'll say thank you. Please can I have another 10 or please can I have another 20? So for this short story, which is again, I will talk more about in February after my Kickstarter is done. One thing at a time, people. But the, sh- the short story is done. It's edited. It's all ready to go. It's just I'm, I need to do it later. But um, so I had I think I had 50 or 60 titles. And out of them all, I picked three that I really loved. And I used one of those. And interestingly, the 
title I had decided as myself before sending it to my editor. I knew it was wrong. And my editor, Kristen, said, this title is wrong. And I was like, I I know it's wrong. You know it's wrong. What is a better title? And so by having let's say 50 or 60 different titles that really, really helped because then I was able to pick three and I've decided on one, which is the one I'm going with. So yeah, that's how you use prompting on ChatGPT. It's a, to me, it's a brainstorming tool. It's world building, it's for titles, it's for ad copy, it's for all of that kind of thing. Uh, yes. So anyway, you can tweet me at the creative pen. Send me pictures of where you're listening. I love to get those. Email me joanna at thecreativepen.com or leave a comment on the blog or the YouTube channel. I love to hear from you. It makes this more of a conversation. So today's episode is sponsored by Findaway Voices, which I use to distribute my audiobooks to over 40 retailers and library services, including Spotify, Google Play, Storytel, Kobo, Nook, Audio, Script, Overdrive, Hoopla and more. You can also use them to distribute to the mainstream services like Audible and Apple Books. Plus, you can retain control of your intellectual property and control your prices. You can sell the books direct through Authors Direct and you can also sell on your own site, as I do with my audiobooks, through Shopify, which I integrate with BookFunnel. So yes, I know when I read these ads sometimes there's all this jargon. If you're new, it can be difficult. But believe me, these are all good things. So you just need to know Findaway Voices in this situation. Findaway has distribution to Chirp, which is owned by BookBub, a great way to sell audiobooks in price promotion deals. And many of us have really good audio months when we get a a Chirp deal. So it's something to submit to regularly. Findaway Voices also has its own promotional dashboard where you can offer promotional pricing to different sites. So for example, if you want to do a sale on Apple or Spotify. And in fact, um, the promotion codes for Spotify, as I mentioned, is how Brandon Sanderson distributed his audiobooks for his multi-million dollar Kickstarter. With library services, you can get paid per checkout, which is just makes it much easier for libraries to afford your audiobook and your listeners get it for free and you still get paid and just a little side note you can get most of my audiobooks from your local library in all formats including uh, audio and if you do borrow an audiobook through your library I will get paid through Findaway Voices. So the future is very exciting with much more audio opportunity on the way if you control your rights. And like many authors, I'm slowly getting all the rights back to the audiobooks I signed on those seven year deals way back. And I love being wide with audio. You can use Findaway Voices in a number of different ways. You can manage the production separately and just upload the audio for distribution. You can find a narrator to work with, as I did with my Matt Walker trilogy. You can even set up contracts with existing narrators. Now, I love Findaway Voices. I am a super fan and every one of my audiobooks now goes through them. So take back your audio freedom and check out findawayvoices.com for your next audiobook project. This type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing, but my time in creating the show is sponsored by my wonderful patrons. And thanks to those people who've been supporting for years and months, you're all amazing. So thanks to new patrons this week, Krista Backer, Karen Lena Izzo, Evan Camby and the Eerie USA podcast, and Thea Lancashire. 
If you support the show on Patreon, you get my extra monthly Q&A for patrons only, which I sent out last week, this week, as I'm recording this. And it is around 45 minutes of audio where I answer questions about craft, writing stuff, publishing, book marketing, making money, AI, futurist all of that. I also share discount codes, behind the scenes information, early access and more. You can support the show with just a few dollars or pounds or whatever your currency is a month and you'll get that extra audio plus the backlist. So tons and tons of audio content. You can support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview. Mark Recklau is the best-selling author of 13 books on habits, productivity, and happiness. He's also a speaker, consultant, and coach. So welcome to the show, Mark. Hello. It's such a pleasure, pleasure to be on your show, Joanna. Oh, no, I'm excited to talk to you. So first up, tell us a bit more about you and how you got into writing. Yeah, that's a good story because actually I never had it on my life plan to become a writer, but in the, like, Nine years ago, I was fired from my job, and I also had done a life coach training. So I was very naive. I said, yes, I'm going to be a coach now and a consultant, and I will have many clients. But it didn't work out as I wanted. But at the same time, in my coaching training, I noticed that there are many, many exercises that if you do them, they really work. Just nobody does them, like 98 98% of the people don't do them and it's like goal setting or meditation or practice gratitude. And I and then the idea of the book came up, say I want to give people, yeah, the tools at least to have a happy life, to have a productive life. And it's really so obvious that you only have to do the exercises. Although doing the exercises and doing them constantly is more difficult than one thinks because we like to distract us or something so that was the idea of my book 30 days change your habits change your life which was actually going under the working title 101 things you can do while you're waiting to win the lottery because <laughs> all the people i met they always the conversation it wasn't i lived in spain in that time and it was the end of the financial crisis and everybody all the like the conversations were like oh well yeah everything is bad but well now it's friday maybe i win the lottery and of course most people never win the lottery. So I was like, if you would do for one year the ex any exercise or mix, like getting up early, writing a thousand words a day, mm, do goal setting, I'm sure in one year you will be in a better place than you are now or in an even better place if you're already in a good place. So that was the idea. That's how I started. And then thanks to three uh, straight book pub deals, it did pretty well, this book. And then... It happened to me what happens probably to most of us. So you finish one book and you already have the idea for the next book. And that's how the last nine years went by. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I want to come back on the waiting to win the lottery thing, because I feel that that actually has a parallel in publishing in that people are like, oh, well, this one book, if I just get the agent, if I just get the book deal, if I just get the film deal or the TV deal, I will make a million and I can retire. And yet, as you said, it's actually the daily exercise of writing, finding readers, publishing. So how have you used that kind of mindset as an indie author? 
exactly the way you said it, right? So my goal was never to sell 600,000 books or become an international bestseller or sign a uh, publishing deal in Japan. My goal was write a thousand words a day or write 2,000 words a day. And I also have to admit that Amazon ads was a huge game changer for me because before I was, yeah, I was, I would like to call it a poor author, nearly like getting by, burning away my savings, burning away life insurance. But then with the rise of Amazon ads, uh, suddenly I could multiply my sales by 20. And it was the same thing. Really, Joanna, since four and a half years, I do one hour a day of Amazon ads. But I do that hour every day, which is like managing ads, making new ads. And this brought the huge book sales that I have now. So now I'm a six-figure author, multiple six-figure author. But it really started four and a half years ago when I said, okay, this mindset do something every day, even if it's an hour or two hours, it will multiply with time, right? Yeah, but it's interesting, like you said, the exercises, and that's, to me, it's also including physical movement. Uh, I wear an Apple Watch, and I actually really love closing my rings on my Apple Watch every day. And there's one for exercise, one for movement and one for standing. And when you actually track these things, you realize sometimes even just standing up once an hour is something that unless you have reminders about, it can be difficult. So like you say, these kind of daily practices, these daily exercises can make all the difference. So why do we find it so hard to do things consistently? (laughs) Because we want to, I think it's because we want short-term gratification. We don't look far. Uh, along ahead it's the same thing like we we say okay now i'm gonna walk 10 kilometers or 15 kilometers a day but after three days our legs hurt everything hurts and we say okay i'll wait until next year for the new year's eve to make a new goal but what actually would be like maybe walking two miles a day would be easier on us but if we do it for a year at the end we have walked more And this works like everything. It's like to say, also like we say, okay, I will save 300 pounds this month of money. And then you, the end of the month comes and you see, oh no, it's not three. No, this month it won't happen. So it will be next month. And then it never happens. But if you would say, I save one pound a day, then it's 30 pounds a month. It's not as spectacular as 300, but you actually have it. And then in a year, it's 360 pounds. You understand what I want to say? Mm. So this little by little, Mm. it works everywhere. It's really amazing. And it's so sad that we don't get it because our brains are probably wired the other way. But once you get it, it works everywhere. It works with a diet. It works with gym. It works with writing books. So not writing one, this one big book, but write 2,000 words a day. And in a year, you probably have three books. I probably have because I write very short books. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, let's come to your business model, because like you said, you write short books, you write these habit books, productivity books, and you don't have to write long books when you have a sort of niche in nonfiction. And of course, for fiction, too, there are models where people write shorter books. But tell us about your different streams of income. How does your business work together with all the things you do right now? Yeah, I'm kind of the strange guy because normally nonfiction authors, especially coaches or consultants, they write a couple of books and the books bring them clients for their business. And for me, this never happened. So I tried everything. I tried the online courses. I tried coaching, consulting, conferences, speaking, but it never 
was enough to have a good life. And then when I was burning away my savings and my life insurance, uh, I said, okay, I went really, really, really deep. I said, okay, what would I do? What do I really, really, really want to do? And then the answer was, I want to sell many books. I want to live off book sales. And then I got kind of obsessed with it, studied people who sell lots of books, which mostly are fiction writers, not nonfiction writers. Uh, found our friend Mark Dawson, did the advertising course, and suddenly I sold many books. And now I don't, I do a little bit of speaking, I do a little bit of consulting, but only, I mean, it's like 10% of my business. And I do it, yeah, I can really hmm, afford to say no many times. And then the fun thing is because that's the income streams because you wouldn't think that so, about 93% of my income comes from IP, which is Amazon is about 50, 60% Ingram, Sparks uh, for the paperback distribution. Uh, audiobooks is growing every year. I have international rights. I was lucky to secure like over 30 international publishing deals and what are the direct sales, little by little, the direct sales. So it's a, like atypical for a nonfiction person that still 90, 95% come from my books but it's okay with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's brilliant. Well, let's then address why your books do sell. Now, you've mentioned the ads, but we all know that ads don't make a difference if you don't have a good product. So what are the things that you did to make sure your products, your books sell when you do ads? What are the things you would recommend for nonfiction authors who want to follow the same model? Uh, actually, I copied Mark Dawson. <laughs> Very easy. So, so I took everything he teaches as a fiction writer. I could apply it 100% on nonfiction and it works. So, of course, you need, as always, as you talked many times on this po podcast, you need a good cover. You need a good proofreader, proofreader, a good book. And then basically for me, everything that was taught about ads by fiction authors works for nonfiction too. Uh, I was lucky also that, the, so most of my income comes from the Spanish market, strangely. So I, I translated my books to Spanish. And when Spain started with the Amazon ads, it was a lot easier than in the US because there was not so much competition. And then another game changer was me advertising my Spanish books in the US. And that's right now where most of my income comes from. So, but a nonfiction author can. Buy any course of a fiction author and copy in, like copy is not literally copy, right? But you copy like you look what, I looked what does Mark Dawson do? And I, I did the same thing for on my nonfiction, like also with the newsletter, of course, the autoresponder, but really most comes from ads. And I'm doing my ads like without text or something in, in, in Amazon ads. So just the easiest way, just like. Sponsored ads, 100 keywords that, of course, I research and run it. Well, there's so many interesting things there. I do want to add that writing in a series and writing in a niche. So all your books are really aimed at the same people, right? Uh, that's also great that you said it because even that I, I, I copied because I thought I have 10 different books because one is about self-esteem. One is about people relations. One is about habits. One is about productivity. But then exactly the 
series is perfect. So I just put them all together in the Change Your Habits, Change Your Life series. Got a nice series page for them where there are now 10 books on it. And that helps. So mm. if you are a nonfiction author, I'm sure you can find one common denominator. Probably it will be self-development series or personal growth series. But it's important, as you said, if you can put it in a series or in two series, it will be even better because what we always say, one book sells the other. And what I, as a, what for us is a, for nonfiction writers is even an advantage is that when the fiction writers always, they run ads only to the number one in the series, right? And then go with the read through who, who will read book number one, who will go to book through two, three, four, five. For me, it's like in my series, you can enter everywhere. I'm running ads to all my books. And then the fun thing is, so for example, if you have a Middle Eastern man that probably wouldn't be like tempted to read a book on self-esteem, right? But mm. maybe he wrote the book on habits and he liked it. And then he said, oh, this guy also has a book on self-esteem. Well, I'm going to read it. And that's how, for, to me, readers come in from everywhere. So I'm sure, and I'm just guessing that, but still sure. I don't know if you can guess something and be sure <laughs> based <laughs> on experience, but it's like people come in and read a productivity book and then buy all my other books, but they would never have entered with the habits book or with a self-esteem book. Or maybe they say, I get along with people. I don't need to read a book about personal relationships. But once they get in and they see, oh, this guy has 10 more books in this series, then they start reading the other books. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's true for me too, my books for writers series. And it's and once you start in a niche, and again, it doesn't have to be self-help. Like, for example, my book on pilgrimage. Originally, I exactly. thought I would Yeah, I thought I was gonna do multiple books about different types of walking. And I may still do that. I may still do other books that sort of hit that travel niche. And for people listening, you can use a series name. And it doesn't need to be like fiction, right? In fiction, it's like, okay, this is my arcane thriller series. But with nonfiction, like my series name is just books for writers. I mean, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't, ha it's just something that groups stuff together on the retailers. That's important. But exactly. I want to come back to, uh, you said the Spanish market in US and elsewhere is one of your biggest earners. Now you're German. Yeah. <laughs> so do you speak Spanish or how did you go around doing yes. the Spanish stuff? I speak Spanish. So for me, the fun thing is I speak English like I speak English and I speak Spanish more or less the same. And the thing is, I write the books. So I write the books in English because most of my input comes on in English. But of course, I then need very good editors and proofreaders to, yeah, to make it nice, the book. And in Spanish, it's the same thing. So I would translate the book nearly literally. And then I, I give it to Spanish proofreaders. And the editing is already done because... I give, like, I try. So, my process is I write it in English. I get a book polished in English. Then I translate it to Spanish. So, I usually don't need an editor because it's already edited. So, I just need a Spanish proofreader editor just to get the typos out, right? And it works. Mm -hmm. It's funnily funny. In English and Spanish, it works 100% with more or less literal translation or with a feeling for the language that I have because I lived there for 17 years. But for example, I'm German. My German books are an absolute failure. They're not selling. <laughs> and that, I, that makes me laugh. Do you know why? Maybe it's because you're actually not very German. <laughs> probably first this one. First that. Secondly, I think my German, of course, is 20 years because I've lived away for 20 years. So I probably, maybe I speak another German than 
I speak um, this happy positivity. I think it's also not a thing that sells in Germany. They are more serious people and they are, they think they are the smartest people in the world. So why do that? They need to read a, brew, a book on improving themselves, right? Things like that. Also, the German market is just also for self-help, personal development. I think it's difficult. So when I translate the title nearly literally from English to Spanish, it worked. I did this in German. It doesn't work. But I also mm. don't want to change it anymore because I'm like, no, you, I'm not going to put any more work in my German series because it's like 2% of my, of my sales. And the fun thing is those Germans, they are really strange because they buy my English books. So I sell a lot of English books in Germany, but I don't sell German books in Germany. <laughs> I love this because I feel like some people think it's, oh, it's all over for me because indie's been around so long. There's so many books. But in these other language markets, it's like 2008, 2009, all over again. And there's so few books in these other languages, in digital, in audio books, for example, that it, this is a sort of a growth market. So, I mean, I guess... It's difficult, though. You speak Spanish, so you do have an advantage there. But how did you get those other deals? You mentioned 30 international rights deals. Uh, how did that come to you? That really come, came to me because if you are long enough on top in the Amazon charts, they will notice you. So they, it also took a lot. Uh, so I was on top of the U.S. charts and self-help already in 2015. And in 2017, 2018, the first international deals rolled in. I also had two agents. But it didn't end well. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just too too freedom loving. I'm I'm a bad. I'm a bad, You're a bad client. client. <laughs> yes, very bad client. Because when I am in charge, everything goes fast. And then suddenly, my international publishers that I already had, and then I had to go through an agent. They said, "Mark, it's all taking so long. What's going on with you?" And then I said, "Yeah." And then oftentimes, I like to pay to an agent twenty five percent when they bring me. A new client, but if the new client already comes to me, then I don't like to share twenty five percent. But of course, if you sign the contract that you will share, then you share. And then also another reason was that I I think eighty percent of my the money I made in international rights also I made myself. So I said, okay, I don't need an agent, and just let it go. At the end, it was really the if you I would always concentrate on in this case on Amazon, of course, or even I don't know. Because I'm white just with ebooks since a couple of months or three, but surely when you are in the Apple charts app or in the Kobo or whatever, they will find you. And it's really not like that anymore. So in foreign countries like in Japan or China or whatever, they never cared that I'm an indie, right? In mm. Germany, for example, they still look very like, oh, if he's self-published, he doesn't write good books or maybe in Spain also they think that but I I didn't get that from Japan or so and it was really they discovered me they discovered my book in the Amazon charts and then reached out and another thing that I want to say to international publishing deals it's it's amazing but 80% are disappointments yeah they never take off like it happens sometimes but the 20% I have Japan India and Thailand they cure the pain of the other 80% because they bring me lots of money. The others, they bring me headaches. So I would always say to every author, accept it. I mean, do your due diligence, Google those people that contact you and then say yes. 
if it's a language also, what I want to say, I give away the rights of my languages that I can't control. So Spanish, German, English, Italian, French will always be mine because I will, I can control them on Amazon with Amazon ads. But all the other languages, I don't care. I sell them. And then it's also like a lottery ticket, right? So you mm. get paid a little advance. And sometimes you never earn it back. And sometimes it takes off. So in Japan, for example, I have 90,000 copies sold. So that's fantastic. Mm. But I have at least 20 markets where I never out-earned my advance. Yeah, and I think you're so right. And this is another difference between countries. Hilariously, I mean, we hate cultural stereotypes, right? We don't like the stereotypes. And yet there is some truth in stereotypes. And you mentioned India there for the self-help and Japan for self-help. These genres do really well and others don't. And for me too, self-help books do well in certain markets and not in others. But we don't learn these things unless we we try. But I do want to ask you because like... um, so English is not your first language. Obviously, your English no. is amazing. Your English is amazing. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> but what I... Accent, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I love your accent. But a lot of people listen to this show for whom English is not their first language. And I often get emails from listeners who say, Spanish is my first language or Portuguese is my first language or whatever. And I want to break into the English language market. And I often reply to them and say... That's great, but how about you focus on your language market because that's probably only starting now. So what do you think, what would you say to those people for whom English is not their first language? Should they start in their own language or should they also try and break into the English language? Uh, It depends. So for example, if they're Polish, Norwegian, Swedish or whatever and speak like me, go for it in English. But for example, I get a lot of emails from Spanish authors that want to translate to English. I said, no, don't do it. Concentrate on your Spanish books. I mean, Spain is still El Dorado right now. It's like incredible. As I told you, most of my money comes from Spanish books. So, but anyway, any author should never limit themselves because if a guy who talks like me and I write about the same way can make it, everybody can make it. It's just, it depends really on your, then also on your proofreader and editor. They will make it fine, you know, and even in German, when I'm, when I sent out my German manuscript, they came back red because it's just not my strong point to write without typos. But that's, I also see the, the profession of the editor or proofreader. That's what I have them for, to make my books nice. So if you are Spanish, go for a Spanish market, Italian, French, probably the same. And once you earn money with those books, because it's exactly what you say, I think Italy, Italian books in Italy on French books in France, Spanish books in Spain and the US go very well. French books in Canada also give me joy. So do first that before you invest more money in translations. And there's one great thing that a friend of mine told me, because I translated one book to Italy, Italian and one book to French. And then I was whining to him. I said, "Eh, I don't sell. And he said, Mark, translate at least four books. Because Mm. why... Everybody knows, we all know that in Amazon or wherever, in the English-speaking market, one book is very difficult to become rich and sell many books. Four or five books looks already better, right? And why do we think that if we know that we need four, five, six, seven books in the US, why do we think that we can make a fortune with one book in France, Italy? So I said, yeah, you are right. And then I 
I'm now in translating more books so to have at least four, five books for those markets. And then I can see if the same effect comes. And in Spain, where I have all my books, I can see that that the sales get better and better. Mm, to, absolutely right. And I'm the same. I have five books in German. And when I did one in Spanish, one in, um, what was I, Italian, I had one, but now I've licensed my Italian. And so there's loads of ways to do this. And for people listening, the point is double down on your strengths. And it, for you, obviously, Spanish was already a strength. So that's fantastic. And then, uh, yeah, don't. The other thing is with nonfiction that's brilliant with translation, it is easier mm-hmm. and short books as well right because if you want to pay an editor or pay a translator word count is the thing so if your book how so how long are your most of your books uh between so the first two were like forty thousand books and now i write between 20 and twenty five thousand books and i even have a couple with only fifteen thousand words so 20 to twenty five thousand words fifteen thousand words so long time ago i wrote a last my last book with 40,000 words. So yeah, I'm now between 20 and 25,000 words. Yeah, which is brilliant. I've only got a couple of books. Like my, your author business plan is about that. I've really got only a couple that are that short, even of my nonfiction. So I hope people listening are encouraged because I, I think it's it's just brilliant. So let's talk about some other things, talking about wide print. Now you emailed me last year to talk about an experience you had and why you took your print books wide. So tell us a bit about that. Blessed be you, Joanna. I always wanted to tell you, I told you in person in London, thanks to you, because to your talk in F Life, you talked about Ingram, and I was always thinking about it, but I never did it. And then you just gave such a fantastic presentation. I said, okay, going to do it. Going to do what Joanna says. It still took six months, but thanks to you, I have made now an Ingram 40,000 euros in the last two years. Plus, When I contacted you, that was when Amazon closed my account, I think, of course, by mistake. But when that happened, I was so happy that I had my expanded distribution on Instagram, uh, on on Ingram, because I didn't fall back from, let's say, 10, 20,000 euros to zero. I fell back to 4,000, which is what I earned with Ingram audiobooks and the international rights. So, yeah, it's like... A safety if you if I would have had all my eggs in one basket, I would have gotten very sad and depressed very quickly and very hopeless. But in that time, because it was like two days, at least I was a little less hysteric because I knew <laughs> so this in Ingram is now a pillar of my income. And let's be real, like before I got my big break on Amazon. In my old jobs, in, in my nine to five jobs, I never made 4,000 euros in a month. So I knew I can be fine with 4,000 euros in a month. Of course, 10 or 15 is even nicer. And yeah, I did ex- what you said. So the expanded distribution is now made by Ingram. So I guess I get paid like double per book, which is fantastic. And I'm a little bit more independent of Amazon. So a lot of people, I mean, me as well, to be honest, I don't make 4,000 euro a month on Ingram. So lots of people would love to know how to sell more books through Ingram Spark. So how are you driving those sales? Or is it just because people are buying those at, you know, bookstores and things? So I have to say the 4,000 is, so Ingram is two and a half thousand. There's a thousand of on audiobooks and 500 on average of 
of the whole year of in, international deeds. And I have no idea. They just took off. So what I did is when I went on Ingram, I wrote to my newsletter. I have about 25,000 subscribers. And I told them, look, I listen to you. I know that many of you don't like on, 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 to buy on Amazon. So I signed just a new distribution deal with Ingram. And now your book should be in any, my book should be, you should be able to buy it in any bookstore or have it in a library. And then from then on, it just, it took, again, it took a time. So it was not, it started with making 300 and then 400. So it again, it's a span of two, two years. Mm. When it so you can but you can literally see the build up. So I don't know how it works. Probably when the bookstores order it, probably also word of how do you say word of mouth? Yeah, word of mouth. Yeah. So and of, of course, probably also I was running a lot of ads on Amazon, and most also I have to say eighty percent of my books are paperback sales. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure many people also. Uh, bought it than the Ingram version or whatever, but I I can only guess again how it took off like this. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. And this is what's so difficult for people who decide to go wide, whether it's with ebooks, audiobooks, print books, is it's not immediate. You don't go like, oh, turn on my wide distribution and next week I'm making the same amount of money. It does take time to grow all these other platforms. But I mean, as we're recording this at the beginning of 2023, and there's been a lot of authors who have lost their accounts, whether that's for a few days, a few weeks, most of the authors like yourself get their accounts back but the stress it's <laughs> the incredible stress really yeah yeah you think it's all over right i mean it is and, the end of the world <laughs> and it's still a, a stress for me although i have now one strike so but this was always so when it happened i was nearly relieved because i was always fearing it and then when it finally happens then that's it it happened but because for me it I changed my business model you know, I told you before, I was investing 10 to 12,000 euros in Amazon ads every month. So that's pretty risky because we know that if you lose your account, they probably don't pay you your royalty. So at any point of time, Amazon was only owing me like 50 to 60,000 euros while I was paying happily 10, 12,000 every month. And that was just too much. And then I turned off 80% of my ads and now I'm. Now I'm only spending 4000 a month on Amazon ads and I'm actually having better net results, which is amazing. But mm -hmm. now I'd, something has happened because I wanted to depend less on them, but now I still depend on them because I have like great net. But on the other hand, I say, okay, 4000 that's okay. Because when I turn off my ads and I just don't pay the 4000 it doesn't hurt as much as 12000 for example. Mm. And it shouldn't be like this, that I have to have these thoughts. But I guess that's the way it is, you know. So that's why I also want to become more independent. Because it's not nice when you make... I, you shouldn't do it, but I make decisions, decisions now based on fear. Because the closure of my account was so far unbelievable that I was like, okay, what do I do now? Because it was like, yeah, you... Mark Recklow, you are trying to imitate Mark Recklow. And I said, no, no, I am Mark Recklow. I am Mark Recklow. <laughs> and there is only one Mark Recklow in the world, although there are two, but okay. And then that was it. So that was probably the guy had a bad day. 
I send them passport copy and everything, but it was just not nice. And because when they get you for something, so you copy something or, or it's more understandable. But if they just say, so Joanna Penn, we will close your account now because you are impersonating Joanna Penn. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. And I mean, it's for people listening, it's, well, it's nothing new on this show. I've been saying for years that you should have multiple streams of income. And that means different retailers as well as more than one book. And then if you do depend on one retailer, it's putting money away so that if something happens and look, it's not if something happens, it's when something happens. Exactly. And that might not be a closure of account. It might be COVID that hit me really badly. It might be life happens it is something's gonna happen <laughs> at exactly. some you point have, right yeah and i'm really so happy because the thing was when it happened it was in august i went to your podcast and i i copy pasted every every podcast where you ever in the last two years talked about going white i po- copied it in a word document and every morning i was doing my my walks around along the Dan- danube in Budapest, listening to your podcast and then like already thinking my next steps and then saying, okay, I have to go wide and I know already what is will be the next thing because you are always two years or more ahead. So there's surely in one to two years, I will also go selling direct. For now, I'm concentrating on going wide, but that will be the next step. So thank you for being, how do you say, a beacon or a guide for, for the rest of us. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate people who listen to the show and take action. And you're one of those people. You mentioned Mark Dawson taking action on what he does. And that's the reality of what we do, right? I've always listened to people and watched other people and taken action. And it will be different for different people. But like I started this show in 2009 because a guy I followed, Yaro Starak, he had a podcast and he was a full-time creator. And I was like, do you know what? I can do that too. Mm. So having someone and people listening to you, I'm listening to you going, hmm, I wonder, <laughs> you know, I think I should probably be doing better with some of my books. So I, I, thank you for inspiring people. But let's talk about money as well, because you one of your books is Rich Author, Poor Author, 50 Reasons Why Successful Authors Sell More Books Than Struggling Authors. So I did, yeah. even though there's 50 in that book, I wanted you to give us a couple of reasons. Well, I think the number one reason, and you managed, mentioned it many times on the show, is the mindset, business mindset, but also mind, simply mindset. What do I want to say? Look, just recently I had an email conversation with a Spanish author, and she was like, yeah, I have a novel but I think I won't sell because I'm sure you with your nonfiction, you are doing better. It's easier to sell nonfiction. I said, no, actually the richest authors in the community of the Indies are uh, fiction authors who sell uh, yeah, romance or whatever. So, okay. Then she accepted that. And he was like, yes, but I don't want to sacrifice my values. I was to, I was, I want to write what I, and I said, you don't have to co- compromise on that. But I also noticed that on every reason I give you, to go for it, you give me three reasons why you don't, mm. why you won't make it. So I said to her, look, first of all, you have, I believe that you can earn money with books because, I, because I've seen it. Everybody, even before they said, oh, with poetry, you can't sell many books. Well, there are, many, there are people selling many poetry books. So first of all, you have to believe that you can do it. So that's mindset, yeah? And then the business mindset. So I think there's, what I see from people who write to me, they think, so this urban legend that you can 
sell 100,000 books with a cover made by yourself. And that's not true. So you need to invest money to make money. And for me, it was very funny because all the good things that came in my career as a writer was always when I did investments and investments that hurt. So my first book pub deal, I was jobless and I got 800 euros of jobless welfare every month. And I took 500 euros of those and got my book pub deal, which was fantastic. I sold thousands of books. Well, I gave away 40,000 for free and afterwards I sold many books. Mark Dawson's course, which is for me a life changer and a game changer, I couldn't even buy it. I couldn't even buy it at once. I, I took the 12 month plan, you know, but mm. these are actions to say, okay, I have to invest something also in my career so that something comes back. There's not, it's like, a, yeah, these urban legends that you can reach great success with no sacrifice. No, you can't. In my opinion, in my experience, all the people that I know have gone through times of pain also until they finally believed enough in their project or in their book and write more books. And then with the fifth or sixth book came the success. So this is one thing what I see that people have just not the business mindset or the mindset, or they think they don't have to invest in a cover. Oh my, so, so many reasons, but now I can't come up with any new. <laughs> but those are like the ones I see most. Yeah, I think you're right. And it was the same for me. And we can't expect to have a thriving business without spending some money and some time. And so, as you say, again, it's coming back to that lottery ticket. A lot of people think that it is one book, sell the book, make a million, retire. And I remember thinking like that back when I wrote my first book, you know, 2006, 2007, that's how I thought it was. But yeah, I also say to people, you know, that you can't control the lightning strike, you can't control the lottery ticket. But what we can control is these practices that help us progress month after month. And eventually, you can control having a business, basically, by the work that you do. Absolutely. It's this day. And so let's say now I was thinking uh, goals, right? We make goals now. Now it's beginning of 2023. I make goals. I make goals for one year. I even have 10 years goals. But the decisive goals for me that I look every day are my daily goals. Because if I don't do my daily goals, I will never reach. So say this year I want to write three books. It's becoming back to the same thing. Then I have to write 2000 words every day. If I don't write the 2,000 words until February, it will get a lot more difficult to get these three books done, right? So the Mm -hmm. most important is these daily goals and really work every day. And it's, I would even, so in my self-help books, I really say, I dare to say it goes for everybody. If you do the three most important things every day, the three more, if you say, okay, what are my three most important tasks every day to bring my business and my author career to advance it? If you would do these three three things for a year, in one year, you would be in a fantastic state. And those who are listening to us, they can try to do it. And if they do it, I can nearly promise it. Because the difficult thing is then to know which are those three things, right? Mm. So that's where where it comes in, the focus. Or Also, I like a lot the 80-20 rule, you know, because it's like this is one of the best rules in everything. I see it everything, everywhere, and it's really also good rule to not do unnecessary work. So usually it's like, okay, 20% or let's say 80% of your sales come from 20% of 
of your activities. So which are those activities that, or for me, it's also, I can see it also, 80% of my income comes from 20% of my books. Mm. 80% of my ad money goes into 20% of my ads. So you can really, this 80-20 is fascinating and you can use it to save time. So look at the same, 80% of the, no, 20% of the markets bring me 80% of my income. So where I'm really concentrating on is the US market and the Spanish market. Those are my bringers. So it's a whole new thing also in in matter of time, having time. If I just check my Spanish and English ads every day, or if I spe- also check the Canadian, French, German, UK, whatever. So you can find a lot of time with this tool. No, that's fantastic. And we could talk for ages. I love talking to you, but we are out of time. So where can people find you and your books online? Now, thanks to you, they can find me everywhere. I'm wide now with ebooks, with paperback, with audiobooks. I was always uh, wide because I, I like the wide idea too. And it was actually you who, again, inspired me because we share the values of independence, freedom. And I'm like, yeah, those are core values for me. Why am I in KDP Select if those in my are my key values? Well, because the money was good, right? But now I'm independent, <laughs> I'm free, and you can find me everywhere. And as I said, I mean, I like to say there's only one Mark Reglow because there's such a nice song I, I learned in England 20 years ago when there was only one Alan Shearer. But <laughs> So there's one Mark Reglow, but actually there are two. One with a K, I'm the one with a... See, and if you Google me, yeah, it's all me now. I, the poor guy, dis- disappeared because now there's so much stuff. I remember when I Googled myself in 2009, there were like 20 results on Google, and now there are hundreds of thousands. So, Mark Recklow, you put it in Google, I show up. You put it in LinkedIn, I show up. Social media, I show up. Uh, but I have to say, my preferred way of communication is email, Mark at markreckloud.com because I'm always like with one and a half feet away from social media. I really, because it's the biggest, for me, it's a time waste. Mm. I'm just still there because I think I will start with Facebook ads this year and see if I can make a little bit more money. But the best way to get in touch with me is email or LinkedIn. I will never go for from LinkedIn because my, my girlfriend manages it for me. <laughs> so brilliant well thanks thanks so much for your time mark that was great thank you joanna it was fantastic so i hope you enjoyed the discussion with mark and that it gave you some ideas for your author business and how can you use the mindset of doing something every day for your book whether that's adding to the writing or marketing or learning something new so later this week, I've got an in-betweeny sode as I discuss AI and art with Oliver Altair, who is both an artist and using AI and also a writer. And I'll also comment on the various legal cases that have been filed and how I think things will shake out in generative AI. Then next week, I'm talking to Steve Piper about selling books direct. And I've learned a lot from Steve about optimizing sales on Shopify. So we have a great conversation that I think you will find interesting. Also, if you'd like to check out my Kickstarter for pilgrimage, just go to jfpen.com forward slash pilgrimage. Right. Happy writing. And I'll see you next time. 
Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.